So this last five years was suicide attempts, cancer twice, uh, 20 times in jail, six rehabs, hospital stays, countless number of hospital stays, MRSA in my elbow. I got, I got held captive by a gang because I owed him money for cocaine for 48 hours. This is the story of all stories. This is incredible. I did not expect this. Welcome to Going Within, the podcast where I, David Naylor, and our guests dive deep, sharing our transformative journeys with psychedelic therapy and other awakening experiences. Join us as we explore the life-changing potential of going within and listening to inspiring stories of transformation from various life experiences and ceremonies. Now, let's go within. Sam Gibbs Morris is a thought leader, speaker, author, men's retreat facilitator, spiritual teacher, and the hippie cowboy. That is trademarked, by the way. For over four decades, Sam sought external solutions, hoping that others in the world would save him. It was only through deep healing and radical self-ownership that he discovered his true identity and purpose. Sam has been diagnosed with cancer three different times, and it's just mind-blowing to actually see that once he was diagnosed with this third time, he went to an ayahuasca journey and had his cancer diagnosis completely removed. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this. Sam, it's great to have you on. David, thank you so much. Um, driving over here, I was like, this one, I'm, I'm exceptionally excited about this one. Yeah. yeah. yeah any chance to, to go in with another brother who also has had the type of healing and awakening and expansion and, mm -hmm. and now that are in their full-on creation, I'm excited about. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know... It's like a reflection. I mean, absolutely. It's great to be here. Yeah, man. Looking forward to that, too. Um, you know, I think, you know, right now, currently, you, you're a teacher, you're a healer, you're a thought leader, you're a space holder, mm -hmm. you're a brother, you're a son, you're a partner, you're a king, you're a sage, you're a warrior, you're a magician. <laughs> like, you, you, you're tapping in multidimensionally to who you are. Yeah. But it didn't necessarily just happen overnight. No. Um, tell me a little bit about just... Yeah, kind of highlight your story of of how you came into your dark night of the soul, mm -hmm. your crisis that began this healing journey. Like, when was that pivot point for you? You know, it's funny. Um, I, I've thought about this, and I've always tried to put markers on it. Mm -hmm. And it's, I've landed on that, like, this whole thing started for me the day I was born. Wow. Um, coming into the world with severe breathing problems and asthma and allergies. And, and then for the first 10 or 15 years of my life, I had this tendency to choke on my food. So there was always, there was a Heimlich maneuver, you know, that the mm -hmm. actual like meat stuck in my throat. And like, mm -hmm. so like there was this complicated relationship with breath, a basic human need that I had. And so looking back, like there's been these moments in time where I thought I knew something and it was like, and it said, no, that's, that's not what's true. What you, what you think you know is not true. And it started, that real opening started for me stepping into recovery. Mm -hmm. And being in the rooms of recovery, Alcoholics Anonymous or other recovery rooms and rehabs and hearing stories of other people that had the sexual, physical, verbal abuse, that had the alcohol home, that had the parents that were separated and fighting, that had mm -hmm. like all these you know, t typical mm -hmm. alcoholic um, kind of markers. I'm sitting in these rooms and I'm like, don't have any of that. Like, I, as far as I know, in this moment, my childhood was amazing. Mm -hmm. I was skiing every winter, ski racer, played tennis and golf every summer. We'd go on trips. There was abundance of love in the house. The parents were never alcoholic or abusive or anything like that. And so I'm just like, what, what, why am I here? Like, why did I spend the last 18 years 
battling with this drug and alcohol thing when I have nothing that would say you should have this. You when, should experience this. When did you start using drugs and alcohol? I was late to the party. Okay. Um, so I was a tennis player growing up. So mm -hmm. having that experience of being super sick as a kid, I felt very separate from my peers and social anxiety. I didn't like going to parties because there was bullying happening and just the, the witnessing of these kids get to do this and I don't was hard for me to handle. So I gravitated towards tennis, golf, skiing, these individual sports. Mm. And tennis was the one, I was legit on the path to be on the pro tour. Mm -hmm. That was it, I was, I was training like it, I was being coached like it, it, it was gonna happen. Oh. And that really for me was the only priority in life. And so, all through college, that was priority. I, I, was, I would travel around New England playing tennis tournaments in Connecticut and Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And so I never put the party or the, the drugs and alcohol not really even on my radar. And then my senior year, summer after my senior year, I smoked weed for the first time. And then when I got to college, I got drunk. I, I got drunk a couple times in high school, like one or two. Um, nothing really significant. And then in college, um, still tennis was the priority and drinking was always secondary. Like if I, I knew on a Friday night, if I had a match on Saturday, there was gonna be no drinking because it was so important to me. Mm -hmm. Then, um, so it was, it, when I did get drunk though, it was, it was excessive. Okay. Um, you know, we can all call it normal college drinking. And you went to the other side. You just flipped over, right? So it's like you're on, on one side, you're so driven by the sport, which yeah. is a solo sport. It kept you isolated. What, why was it so important to you? Why was tennis and, and, and that so important to you? You know, it's one of those things that um, I picked up a racket and I was good at it. And it was like, this is everything I need. And it allowed me, so team sports were really tough because I would have to stop in the middle of a basketball game and use my inhaler. Or, mm. you know, soccer. Soccer's big in Vermont. Running around um, would always have to stop and use my inhaler. And so tennis allowed for those quick breaks. Like you yeah. play for 15, 20 seconds at a time and you get to stop. You switch sides every three games. So is it safe to say it was part of your identity? Oh my gosh. Like it was my identity. Mm. It, and it took my identity out of being that like shameful, sick, different than broken kid into I'm a tennis player. And I got accolades for it. It I gave got, you something meaningful. Gave you something meaningful. And, yeah. and a, a sense of something. A sense of something. Which was your identity. Yeah. So I'm a guessing at some point the tennis career came to an end. Tennis, Hence, your identity came to an end. Tell, us, tell yeah. us about that experience. That happened, I remember, I don't know what day it was, but I know it was spring of mm -hmm. my senior year of college. Uh -huh. uh, my tennis coach calls me into the office, and I was on full tennis scholarship, playing number one for the team, and um, he calls me in his office and he said, Sam, you've been playing tennis every day since you were seven years old. You're burnt out, and this is, this is the end of you on the tennis team here. And you're more interested in the social aspect of this college experience than you are tennis. And this was, I mean, I was about to graduate college. And in the back of my head, I was shocked. And I was also like, you know what? He's right. Like, I don't really care about tennis anymore. I've, I've had it. And in that moment, um, I felt, it was, like, it was like when a girlfriend leaves and you have that moment of like, oh, this sucks. And I'm free. Free. Like, I'm really, I, don't, I don't have to, <clears throat> this isn't going to govern my life anymore. Right. And I was ready for that. I thought, and so mm -hmm. I, that's when, you hear a lot of athletes that'll have stories of being in sports and they'll start drinking and the drinking will cause them to lose their sport. Right. For me, the sport upheld until the sport left and then that, that gap, that void was filled with drugs and alcohol. You went, you dove in? I went full athlete, full rock star. That's what I was feeling. Just full, just flipped it. And tell us how long did you spend in that, uh, in that space for? So that was 
22 mm-hmm. and so and until 38 so wow you had a long run yeah long run and you know and, and again this whole thing about like i i'll say that's the that's a marker i have yeah and looking back there was alcoholic tendencies yeah prior to that so i would say it started when i was probably 18 so you're talking almost two decades 20 years of being you know so tell me a little bit about who was sam sam morris then like who yeah I mean, he was a lot of fun to be around yeah. until he wasn't. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it started off, you know, it's it, it's the, this is the typical alcoholic story. It starts with a lot of good nights, mm-hmm. and a couple bad ones. Yeah. Then it's about 50-50. Yeah. And then it's a lot and of bad a lot nights of bad with a couple of ones, and then it's wow. all bad. And it, and we could probably do a few podcasts just on those 20 years. Oh my gosh. Like, so. Tell uh, me just a couple highlights. Yeah, so a couple Got highlights. Um, it started like, you know, it was graduate college. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, yeah. living there, working for a bank, yeah. um, making enough money, like three, just living the life. Uh-huh. A group of five guys in the house, and it was the party house. Oh, wow. And just living it up. So you had some good times. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> and there was some mornings I woke up like, oh, shit, what happened last yeah. night? Yeah. You know, but yeah. they didn't think much of them because the next night, my life And, it, and it was the rock star life. It was, you know, yeah. the drugs, the women, the fun, yep. the, the party. All of it. Okay. And then that, that led me to get married. Uh, oh, I, met, okay. I met a girl and, she, and we got married and then I, we moved down to South Florida. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the marriage was great. Like we were party buddies mm-hmm. and we got to South Florida and it was just the two of us. And so I was like, I don't know if I like this person. And so I, I spent about six months wavering. Oh. And then finally I was like, it's just not working. Like I know that this is not the place for me. And I said to her one day, I just like this, I, I can't be married to you anymore. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to me. And I know this hurts and it's just not, it's not going to continue. And it was clean. It was like, there was no like a year and a half of ugly divorce. You know, she was hurt, but she accepted it. And so that was another kind of tipping point. Like the tennis thing was a tipping point. Now this, I, I, the marriage was one of those kind of governors on my life. And so now it's like, I'm 29 years old. I moved down to Miami. I'm doing commercial real estate. It's like 2000 four to 2007 when the markets like just show up and they pay you yep and i didn't have to do any brokering at all and uh so it was miami life sex drugs and rock and roll on steroids wow and you're coming fresh off a divorce fresh off a divorce blowing off some steam just living the life and so from 30 to 33 was again like this this was a real massive shift because this is when you know the steady decline turns into a the market crashed yeah the market crashed and i crashed and you crashed with yeah it. so at 33 that was 2007 now yep. 2008 market crash you know i had to start like basically working yeah and i had also built this lifestyle of like a lot of cocaine and a lot of alcohol mm-hmm. And forgot how to practice real estate, really, if wow. I'm being honest. Like, so tell us about your darkest time now. Lead, lead <laughs> us to, like, the dark night of the soul time. Yeah, so um, so 33 to 38, those last five years, uh, I was in and out of jail 20-plus times, maybe, Oof. I think, 24 times. Oof. The longest was eight nights. Wow. Um, for a DUI, I had my dog with me in the car, and dog got taken to the pound. I got sent to jail. Ex-girlfriend had to fly from California to get the dog, which she now still has. Mm. Um, you know, it was... Uh, broken relationships. It was two more years in Miami, back to North Carolina, into rehab in Atlanta, back to Delray Beach to recover, mm-hmm. more relapsing there, back mm-hmm. to North Carolina. And then two months, the last two months were, I'd been sober for a year, 11 and a half months. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to reevaluate this in a year. Mm-hmm. 11 and a half was close enough in my book. 
mm. and I had a beer at a football game, and the next thing I know, um, it it got dark, and I was eight nights in jail and two months of just complete debauchery. Now, mm. previous day, North Carolina was probably the darkest in 2009, where I got oral cancer twice Ooh. in uh, 2009, 2011, and then right after oral cancer, I had a suicide attempt. Mm. Um, fell off a balcony, 35 feet, landed on the pavement below uh, from a bar. Now, I didn't know that was a suicide attempt until a deep, deep sit with ayahuasca. In it revealed it, yeah, it revealed, yeah, it revealed, it revealed this to me. Yeah. And it showed me also where previously in my life I had used asthma to try and commit suicide when I was nine years old playing Little League. Yep. Um, my, I just, I said, I, and it was all shame-fueled. So this last five years was suicide attempts, cancer twice. Uh, 20 times in jail, six rehabs, hospital stays, countless number of hospital stays, MRSA in my elbow. I got, I got held captive by a gang because I owed him money for cocaine Wow! for 48 hours. This is the story of all stories. <laughs> this is incredible. I did not expect this. Yeah. You know? um, I mean, I've known you uh, in the community. We've had a couple of times where we've sat and chatted at places we've seen each other, but yeah. I've been looking forward to... This is one of the funnest things about this Within podcast. It's not just about finding out how people went within and in with psychedelics and expanded and healed their life but also i get to go within on each person's life yeah and learn about them it's yeah. been so fun to me it's oh, just I juicy I bet. so all right man so was there like a pivotal like burning bush experience because some people have the burning bush and then some people just have the gradual over time life change like what was yours i would say that it was I'm more burning bush, but a little bit of both. Those last five years, yeah. you know, it went from like, I'm going to rehab to please the, the girlfriend back, to get the yeah. job back, to get yeah. the parents off my back. I, yeah, owning rehab centers, I hear, I saw a lot of that. Yeah. It was 95% relapse rate, revolving door, because yeah, nobody was ever choosing to heal themselves. No, yeah. hardly anybody ever really chooses mm -hmm. to be there. Mm -hmm. I thought I chose to be yeah. there, but the first time I went, was I went because like this? I'm, I'm it's, it sucks being where I'm at. It sucks. It sucks having to answer all these questions to these yeah. people. I'm gonna go hide out for 30 exactly. Days. Yeah, and insurance will pay for it. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Like I just I need a timeout. People will be happier with me. Yeah. yeah. Let me just prove that. Yeah, exactly. I'm tired too. Exactly. Like, I feel a rest. Yeah, yeah, rehab's rest. been a rest. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good one. The rest of rehab. Yeah, yeah. And so I did that, and then as that progressed, and then it was like. Uh, that was in March of 2007. In the fall that year, I went to Cirque Lodge out in Utah. Okay, yeah. And that was like more of a like, okay, this is helping. Mm -hmm. And I also in the back of my head, like, there's no way I'm sober forever. Right. Because I need to go on dates and of I course. need to like go to football games and festivals and yeah. I got a drink. Uh -huh. And then uh, after that one, it was about two year break of just warm body existence not really getting anywhere just mm -hmm. hanging out in Miami not doing anything and then finally in 2010 uh, I was like alright I think I could probably use some help here mm. like this is I know it's not working out and I'm still scared as shit about life on the other side of this but I went to a rehab in Atlanta uh, Talbot it's called and I went there for uh, 120 days wow. I got kicked out at 118 for having a relationship yeah. a rehab relationship yeah. in the rehab yeah yeah, so about those. The, the, yeah, there's a lot about like an uncompleted task there about like so close to the end. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, like I went to, went, got out of there and kept drinking. And then finally in um, 2012, wow. I had a burning bush moment where I was sitting at my kitchen table. It was mm -hmm. 4 a.m. Mm -hmm. My friends, you know, crack dealers and mm -hmm. drug dealers mm -hmm. and cocaine friends had such just left. Friends. Yeah, such close friends. Mm -hmm. I haven't talked to them since. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and so they had all just left and I'm sitting there in my house and I'm actually supposed to move out of my house in four hours. And I had had like three grand in the bank and I blew it all on drugs and alcohol for four days and I hadn't packed up a thing. So full house. Movers are coming in four hours and I'm sitting there and not only that, but for somehow the last 20 years of pain literally came knocking on my door and was like, hey, look at all the shit you've done. Look at all the pain you've caused your parents. Look at your dad's face. Look at your mom's face. Look at your sister's tears and look at your body. And I was just like, oh. So I called up uh, 911. I called my ex-girlfriend first, and I was like, I, gotta st- I can't go on like this. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like, I can't. I can't continue this. I can't continue to cause everyone pain, and I, this has to stop, and I don't know how, and I don't know what I'm going to do, mm-hmm. but this has to end now. Mm-hmm. And so I went to, uh, mm-hmm. I went to uh, the, the psych ward for seven days. Mm-hmm. Got right on a van from the hospital, mm-hmm. went to a rehab in Michigan, which is a funny story, yeah. <laughs> Scientology-based. Yeah. And then went to the, back to Cirque Lodge in Utah for, mm-hmm. for four months. Wow. And I just, it was that, it was a burn the boats moment. Like, yeah. I knew there was no going back. Yeah. That is a burning bush experience, man. Yeah. I love hearing about the burning bush experiences because I, I, too, have had a couple of those that just will get me emotional thinking about. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, how old were you at that time? 38. You were 38. It was the week before Thanksgiving. So I spent Thanksgiving in the psych ward, my birthday in, re- in detox, yeah. Christmas, New Year's in rehab. In rehab. Yeah, that's, how, that's some, that's some uh, a ceremony and initiation right there. You know? Wow. So, um, you know, this is just a curiosity question that I have for you. Is like, what do you think that burning bush moment, what, what do you think was happening metaphysically, spiritually, like what was happening in that moment? Do you think it was just, do you just think it was just happenstance? Do you think that you were that, that chosen at that moment? Do you think it was all divine? I'm just curious. This is more of a curiosity. What do you think was happening during that time? At that moment, I, you know, it was a very physical human experience of a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. Looking back, I remember I was like shaking Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that was what I know now my higher self was like shedding mm-hmm. just like it's you're done it was time like your hands are off the wheel now it's right. time for you to like get your shit together and and then on the other side of this on the other side of it i ended up in san francisco had a job in corporate for like six months and was like nah this is not me anymore i went to i did recruiting and well, yeah, I, I just recruiting. was like making these calls and i was like I don't yeah know. I and i left there got uh, mutually fired uh-huh. <laughs> and uh-huh. went to I started being a personal trainer and like that was doing what you love doing what I love and I haven't worked a day since and <laughs> in that moment that burning bush moment it was just everything I had ever known every story I ever told myself every every like mirror that I needed to see was going to be presented to me and it's been mirrors for almost 11 years this is incredible so you know it's like when the snake is ready to shed the skin when that worm is ready to go into that chrysalis or like we just sometimes that, that when that popcorn kernel and like whatever second it, it pops right yeah. um it happened for you and you know so how did like so you were in recovery this is a you know a big thing too because you know being in recovery myself having gone to rehab at 17 and spending over a decade sober and working the steps and working several different types of recovery programs. 
when I found plant medicine or when plant medicine began to call to me, mm -hmm. it's really hard for me <clears throat> to, to grasp the fact that like, wait a minute, am I going to take drugs? Like what, this is a drug, yeah. psilocybin or ayahuasca or, you know, Wachuma, the cactus, but like it was, my body was saying, yes, I could feel the, this pull, but then my mind was like, I'm going to lose my sobriety date. Um, what are people going to think? People aren't going to refer to my treatment centers anymore. Mm. Like it was a lot of, it was a lot of, um, mind in the way, but eventually my intelligence and my body went out and thank God I did because mm -hmm. it, it helped <clears throat> open up so much healing and awareness and consciousness that I ever even imagined. So like, what was that like for you? It was very similar. It was. Yeah, I mean, like in that, I was, so I was six years in AA. Yeah. And I, I, I was in and out of AA for a long time. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, looking back, there was always an element of me that didn't quite relate to the AA thing. Like, I, w I refused to say I was an alcoholic for the first few years. Same. And I just, cause I couldn't, and no, at first I just didn't want to admit it. And now I started saying it to fit in because it was like, I think, it, and I think it was helpful to yeah. really look at that. Yeah. And, um, at about six years, it was actually like five years that I was like, this is not it anymore for me. And then mm -hmm. at that five-year mark, my girlfriend broke up with me suddenly on January 12th, 2019. Yeah, we know those dates. Yeah, and I was like, well, I can't leave AA now because I'm free fall, and I, I need this community and support. And the universe was like, yeah, you need a little more time there. And so the move here to Austin was when I moved here, and I just didn't go to meetings. Because I knew it was coming, and I knew the plant medicine. I had been plant medicines have been calling me for three years. Yeah. In sobriety. Yeah. You know, like looking at mushrooms and yep. like talking to people about ayahuasca, yep. getting invited to a few ayahuasca right. ceremonies. Me like same. I can't do Not it. Not right now. I know. Yeah, I can't. No. Like I, I, my, I, I'm in AA. I'm sober. Like oh, that's good for other people. And yeah. Um. So finally, just like you, man, I had this like intense consciousness call that was like, this needs to happen now. And it was 2020, and I started with microdosing, and it was that conversation had gotten to the point where it was leaving AA was, uh, I knew that I couldn't just leave AA and have a void in my life. Like, that was a huge part. And it was big, community was a big part of it, and I still have friends that go to meetings mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. And Same. they're really good friends, and they support my path, I support their path. And for me, it was knowing that I had, that what was gonna fill that void was this consciousness you talk about. Mm -hmm this level of awareness and embodiment mm -hmm. and deep mm -hmm. spirituality yeah. that I just completely dove into when I left AA and was like Same. hockey stick moment. Like, you yeah. know, like you're on the trajectory and everything's good. And then the, you know, a lot of AA, no disrespect at all. Love it. Did a yeah. lot for me. Did a lot and for me. it stopped. Yeah. It stopped working. And so yeah. getting onto the plant path, the microdosing led to um, a couple of masterminds where plants were big, and then that led to Wachuma, which led to Bufo, which led to Mexico, which led to Ayahuasca, which has led to what I do now. Yes. And all of it was just, I can pinpoint that summer of 2020 just as like this moment when things just upturned, you know? It's like, it like the stock market just like going on a run, you yeah. know? Like yeah. it, it really, you know, up for you that first year of plant medicine. Like, what were some of the things that just change for you like what what did it show you you know it, it's it showed me I think what I had always just thought was for other people like 
really cool masterminds and going to like Sedona to do these community meetups and living in Mexico. I had these few moments where yeah, I just done a Bufo ceremony. I was in Mexico and, he, and the shaman was like, you know, go take, it was Combo and Bufo. And I went and I was sitting in the water, kind of cleaning off and looking back at the shore. And I had this moment of like, I never thought I would be here. You know, I, I, I looked at it on Instagram and saw the things and like the knowing that I am creator mode, you know, manifestation mode and releasing the stories uh, basically ba that we're in fight or flight mm -hmm. like this constant just like yeah holding in yeah. fighting yeah you know, I wasn't I'm not a belligerent person I wasn't a belligerent drunk and the plant medicine showed me where all I was just fighting life yeah fighting myself fighting yeah. my stories fighting like yes. the shame fighting Correct. the kid like in a sense it's like so shut off from all of it that of course I'm never going to have that experience because I'm closed off and the, and the medicines opened me up to the, and the one that was the biggest for me was also the most uncomfortable, and it was Wachuma. And everyone's like, oh, it's a hug from your grandfather. It's like an open heart and all this, and that was not my experience. That was, it actually was, it was the first like real ceremony that I had done since leaving AA and having mm -hmm. this sobriety conversation that mm -hmm. we just, you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I was convinced I was an addict again in this ceremony. Like, oh, I was like, you had to face that. I had to face all, I, all wow. this. Like, I thought, like, I had almost exiled that part of me. Right. Like, I was like, I'm not, it's not me anymore. Right. I'm good. I'm yeah. clear. Uh-huh. And Wachuma was like, uh-uh, not uh -huh. yet, you're not. And it, it showed up again in, in Ayahuasca last year. This, another layer of it, of this identity and this shame that I hold around it. The, the first one, Wachuma, was the identity. Like, yeah. I still thought I was an addict. You know, I, I had not had a drink in, I don't know, seven, eight years. And I was still held on to this thing of like, I'm still an addict and I'm still out of control and I still can't trust myself. And so that Wachuma was real hard and dark and coming out of it though, that was a true shedding of that identity. Dude, you know, what's interesting. You, it brings up a really good point for me. Um, a teacher once told me, you know, asked like, what are you afraid of? And I just said, well, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of like just being alone and having nothing and being homeless and like, like losing everything. She's like, okay, well that's going to happen then until hmm. you're not attached to that anymore. I'm like, a few <laughs> years later it happened. What is so crazy about what you just said is that when I'm on certain plant medicine journeys, similar, you know, like going all these different types of medicines that I've sat with in the sacred traditions, I have had to become and accept I am all of it. Mm. Dark, light, mm -hmm. homeless, rich, um, the, 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 being the betrayed or the betrayer to being loved and the lover. Like I've had to embrace and feel the – because multidimensionally you get to be shown that we actually – are all one consciousness mm -hmm. experiencing itself multidimensionally yeah. through this beautiful hologram of uh, a slowed down condensed vibration, which is allows us to experience what we think is touch. <laughs> so we're in this third dimension of what we call reality. Yeah. But then there's, you know, many other dimensions of reality. And I really believe that if someone hasn't faced, you got to face it to erase it. 
because like if it's in there like oh no i'm afraid i'm gonna relapse okay yeah. i'm afraid i'm gonna like face something okay because it's in there still in there. and it will come out yeah. in the shadow until we go <laughs> in to face it i think we're touching on something pretty profound yeah um i, I love that acknowledgement that it, it gets to be it has to be all of it because what we <sighs> want i think what we want to do as humans is like we hold these shame these shame bodies or these you know rejection wounds and that version of us like stay over there that's right we want to ex right. exile it. That's right. And I had a really good friend of mine. And it will creep up. It'll, it, it'll live there in the shadows just waiting for the moment when you're like, he's like, hey. Uh-huh. I haven't faced me yeah. yet. And then it doesn't even have to be an appointment. Right? You could be in a relationship. And it You could be in a then. work meeting. And you could be in some moment of just complete and utter peace and joy. And all of a sudden you're like, <gasps> fuck, it's still there. Because you exa exiled it. You didn't love it. You didn't bring it in. You didn't, you know, in integration it's great. Incorporation, incorpus, incorporate into the body all these versions of us. And so as we do that, as we stop exiling, you bring them in and they, they're like inner, inner child stuff. It's, they, they just want love. They just want to be seen. Yeah, because really what, in those moments. They want space to be, right? Because there was one time uh, a few years ago, I kept... Uh, death was knocking like death look at death and I'm like mm. no I'll look at that when I'm later yeah. down the road maybe on my deathbed but it kept coming up mm. whether it was in a dream or whether it was just in a slight thought or maybe I look at one of my kids and like oh my god that could happen but I was like attached and like didn't want to look at it yeah and then of course, then I start sitting with Bufo and start sitting with some other medicines that took me through that death process that then realized that death and birth are just an illusion. And this is going pretty deep, mm -hmm. but I, I got to experience beyond that, that thought and realm of death. And now it just doesn't creep up anymore. Totally. It's cleared. Yeah. It was cleansed. Like, and who knows, there might be something else that knocks again. Right. Uh, and there has been things <clears throat> for me to look at. Like another one was betrayal. I had, to, I went to Peru last year and sat in darkness for several days on ayahuasca with a shaman in a leaky clay pit. Mm. And, and it was just one of the hardest things. Cause I had to I had to go through my deepest fears of betrayal, but I had to get it out, right? So I just love the fact that you've gone within and had the courage to, to look at yourself. And, you know, I'm curious, you know, what's, you know, you mentioned shame. Talk mm. to me about your process around healing <clears throat> shame. Um, so, you know, what I've learned is that shame begins when we as children feel either humiliation or rejection for a basic need when we're trying to meet a basic need. Okay. Me for breathing. Like I would literally be walking through the hospital or the school mm -hmm. having a, maybe a small asthma attack and kids would look at me like, and like mimic an asthma attack. So humiliation around just, I'm trying to breathe. You, you know, felt people. it early. Yeah. I mean, really. And then, so then I, that, that creates difference. Like, why aren't you breathing like this? You know, and I was a mouth breather. And so my tongue would come like that and kids would let come up like, so these things, this shame started very early and then as i know now too shame also dies in safe places men's groups it dies in um ayahuasca ceremonies it dies in these mm. coaching containers these safe places where we can say like i was really upset when that kid walked by me and was breathing weird in my ear and just saying that and be witnessed in that is that when shame dies and so for me shame the 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 repercussion i guess or the symptom of shame is this need to be validated and saved 
by everybody. Mm. Parents, girlfriends, bosses, drugs mm. and alcohol, mm. whatever it is. Like this need of, I am not okay as I am. So as soon as you tell me, and I'll go to relationships, as soon as you say, I love you to me, okay. Like you, you, I'm not shameful. And then, but then there's another level to it of I back off. I, I don't, I'm not intimate. I'm not vulnerable because I know like, because being who I truly am and being seen like that, that's, you're certainly, certainly going to leave me, which is to me a fate worse than death. Would you say that when shame was more present in your body that you would put yourself in situations where people would hurt you or have you feel shame? Like, would oh, you create that? I would create shameful cheating, lying, stealing, um, lying to my parents. I would create these shameful situations so that the shame could be essentially trying to fix the shame by saying, I'm going to create this shameful thing and I'm going to feel shameful about it. And then I need you to tell me that I'm okay. And it's okay that you did that. And so just recreating all these shame loops in order for people to say, it's okay. Don't worry about it. How would you, and how would you say it is now? What's different about it now with the work you've done? Now is that I am very aware of how shame was running the show. Um, how shame was like, you know, I, I would think that girlfriend cheating on me, you know, the girlfriends that have cheated on me, that that's their response to something I already did. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't have happened if I hadn't created a shameful, a chaotic thing, thing. And then there, maybe it was a year and a half later, maybe it was six months later, maybe it was right away. But, and I make up that, no, now you're rejecting me in my time of need, this shameful experience I'm having, like I relapsed and you're going to leave me in this time of need abandonment and so you were literally self creating it I was just looking for all this validation yeah and so now I have done so much clearing of the shame that it's um it's so like I can see it coming from a mile away Wow. and just like oh I see what I'm doing there and like I think that's where real healing happens is like you know we start with like reaction to an event an Mm -hmm. event like a shameful event a Mm -hmm. relapse or whatever it is Mm -hmm. And we and we then we have to do damage control on that, and then that stops, and, we're, and we we hang out here. Yeah. And we're like, okay, another event, and we kind of hang yeah. out here. When you can get to like here, and see it coming before you go down that road, that's when you develop trust in your body, you develop safety in your body, you you, you become embodied mm. and you're grounded because you're not constantly looking for that hypervigilant. You don't have that hypervigilance. That's right. Of constantly looking for threats. Because you're not creating threats anymore. And you're, you're telling me that you've done all this healing in just four years from the 2019 to now? Like, is this... This has been... I mean, so, yes. The, so much consciousness healing in those yeah. four years. Yeah. And I handled all the things I knew I needed to handle as a human being in recovery those yeah. first six years. Yeah. Depression, anxiety. Right. Like those... And I... You had a baseline. You had an anchor. Yeah. yeah. And that was when I decided that I needed something more from AA because I was having repeated, repeated loops like... I just handled this depression three years ago, and here it is again. I felt the same. Yeah, I would go to like anytime I would. <clears throat> if people say, "Just go to a meeting," go to a meeting. I'm like, "Okay, I'm feeling stressed. I got to go to a meeting. I got I'm feeling hurt. I got to go to a meeting." Yeah. So I was still looking. <clears throat> AA and recovery gave me a baseline for almost a decade, mm-hmm. and it was it was I ninety and ninety, you know, different different programs, uh, sponsoring, having sponsors. Uh, Man, it was beautiful. You know, anytime I hit a, it hit a hit a point, I had to go work the steps again or go to a meeting again, yeah. right? And I did, and this fear of I don't want to relapse. Yep. And then also collecting my days. I got this many days, mm. so it was like this. It almost is, you know. And I and I love if you're in recovery, like 
stay in recovery yeah. until you're called not to. But like, it is a bit programmy and, and there's a kind of a cultish sense of it. There's um, a little bit of a business model. It, there's a bit of a business model in there yeah. and there's a little bit of a history where we don't yeah. talk about Bill doing LSD for spiritual <laughs> awakenings. We don't, we don't, we don't talk yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah. We don't talk about Bruno. No, we don't talk about <laughs> Dr. Bill. But, but you know, the point is, is that there was a, there was a time where it was just like, okay, I got to go within. I don't need to rush to a meeting. Mm -mm. I have to rush to call my sponsor. Mm -mm. What about the inner sponsor? What about the inner healer? What about the inner meeting? What about this inner? And that is what plant medicine called me out of. Uh And it's just a new frequency. So anyone who's watching or listening around recovery, you know, that that's just my personal story of how it was called. And, um, Man, I'm just so grateful to be in this conversation with you and yeah, getting man. you know on a deeper level. Same. And um, before we wrap up, tell us a little bit about you know what you're up to now and and how people can find Sam Morris to connect with you. Yeah, so what I'm up to now is this healing through consciousness. So one of the things about shame last year, yeah, um, I had cancer again last year. Wow, I was diagnosed on November 1st, uh, post Burning Man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'd gotten the clear from the doctors and they said, you know, unless something major happens in that area, which is my jaw, you're good. And then after Burning Man last year, something major happened. And so I went to see two doctors uh, and they both looked at it and said, cancer. We need to get a biopsy done in the next six weeks. Say that again, Sam. Sorry. I went to see two doctors. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to see two doctors beginning of November after I was like literally open sore bleeding from my mouth and the same spot I had cancer in 2009, 2011. Mm. And they both looked at it and said, that is extremely ugly. That's cancer. It's back. Um, we need to get a biopsy done, determine the stage and treatment plan. It'll be, it'll be low-level chemo and radiation. And I was like, this is not going to be chemo and radiation. So in that six weeks, what I did is I got back into my shame, back into my emotions, back into the trauma, back into the metaphysical stuff. Like, what is this cancer showing me? And I really, and I, it was, the, it was, one of the last levels of shame. And so I went, I went to Costa Rica. Uh, we got invited to serve Bufo and sit with ayahuasca at the same retreat. And the last night of ayahuasca, I took four cups, the most ever taken. And I was faced with, again, that addict that I thought was gone. Still, it wasn't that I identified as an addict, but I held so much shame around that 20-year period of my life. Yeah. And this cancer... programming. Yeah. And this cancer was the purging of that shame. And so I got back from Costa Rica, got the biopsy done, cancer was gone. You're telling me that you healed cancer by going within, mm-hmm. metaphysically, using a plant medicine tool, Yep. and you heal cancer. I healed my cells, I healed my body through emotional, conscious healing. And so that's what I do. That's what I help people do. Help people heal whatever it is they're coming up with so they don't get to having cancer, so they don't get to having addiction, so they don't get to depression and suicide. And I think what's important to acknowledge here is that any outward symptom we have, whether it's obesity, Mm. diabetes, cancer, anything, that if we go internally to the metaphysical, vibrational, mm. frequency, energetics. shadow, energetics, generational things that we're carrying. And we, we can actually get in and actually release, purge, expel clear. that and clear it. Yep, That's the message. 100%. How okay. can people find you? Uh, Instagram's the best way, at Sam Gibbs Morris, um, G-I-B-B-S-M-O-R-R-I-S. And the website is the same. 
www.samgibbsmorris.com. I want to say, brother, I did not know all of this about you. I felt it. Mm. I felt your sense of depth, your authenticity, your your powerful demeanor, mm. right? You have a powerful energy, uh, and you have a sense of humility and love. But hearing your story, I just feel so much more enriched and alive and inspired. And I have more... I have more wisdom and understanding just knowing your story. Um, and now I want to send as many people your way as possible who are struggling with some of the illnesses that they think just happened to them. Yeah. So thank you so much for your courage. Thank you so much for your sacredness. How The courage, I want to say, the fact that you're going within and saying, no, I'm going to go within myself to heal this versus, okay, I'm going to go do the chemo. I'm going to go on your... I'm going to go on your paradigm of consciousness. No, I'm going to find my paradigm of yes. consciousness to heal. I just applaud that, man. And just so much respect to you, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank yeah. you for that reflection. Yeah. Um, seeing me the way you do. Yeah. It's so great to know you in the community. And, yeah. Um, creating this space. Thank you so much for the space to come here where I can come here and share this story. And yeah. the safe spaces you create in the world. Like, you are up to amazing things. And I deeply, deeply honor Thank you. What you're doing. It's Thank an you. absolute pleasure to walk this path alongside of you. Reflection is the same. Aho. Aho, my bro. Thank you, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Going Within podcast. The Going Within podcast is sponsored by Within Center. Within is a ceremonial psychedelic-assisted wellness center in the heart of Austin, Texas. Discover more about our transformative practices at within.center. If you enjoyed this episode, we kindly invite you to follow us and share your thoughts with a review. Going Within is hosted by David Naylor, production led by Patrick Stanger, and filming and production by Rare Media. Please note the statements made on Going Within have not undergone evaluation by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Within, we strongly recommend consulting your healthcare provider for personalized guidance on the diagnosis and treatment of any disease or condition.